Warren for leading us and for uh, helping us to just acknowledge the greatness of who God is and what he's done for us and his incredible uh, love for us. Um, Dave and Joe are away on leave. They've had a week at Hillsong. Dave's always really pumped. He's going to come back even more pumped after being at Hillsong. I remember going four years straight and started off, there was half a dozen of us went in a car, a couple of uh, the pastor and an elder from the Uniting Church at Summertown and two or three of us from Norton Summit and then four years later we hired a big touring bus, had 50 people, hired the bus all week and just moved us around and got us to the sessions and yeah, a lot of it was about the community and the inspiration of being worshipping and um, with 20,000 people, depending how many were there and uh, just being encouraged by hearing uh, others share what God had put on their heart to, to share with us. So we look forward to when Dave and Joe get back. They're away for another week on leave, so we'll look forward to seeing them uh, in a couple of, weeks, couple of weeks' time. But I have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you this morning, and we're continuing in our series um, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, uh, in terms of finishing well. And this is the final charge, part one. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to John Smith sharing next week with the second part of this. Joel gave us a good challenge last week about not being lovers of ourselves, lovers of pleasure, uh, and just uh, pleasing ourselves and being rebellious and arrogant uh, and just being people who, uh, who, who know God's love and give love to one and grace to one another and live uh, godly lives. And this morning, at the, uh, as we look at 2 Timothy, I'd like us to stand, as Dave suggested a few weeks ago, uh, just as a way of saying we honour God's word. We've stood to honour the martyrs of the faith this morning, and let's stand as we hear God's word uh, in 2 Timothy 3, just a few verses, verses 10 to 17. And here we read, speaking, having spoken of those whose lives showed that their message was wrong, um, false teachers who led people astray, who lived ungodly lives, Paul says to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. And then he goes on to say, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have, been, have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he finishes this section with, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's be seated. <clears throat> Just going to pray as we come to let God's word speak to us this morning, that God's spirit will speak to our hearts as we look at what he may be saying to each of us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and your grace and the gospel and the truth of scripture. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may your spirit and your uh, word touch our hearts, transform us, Lord, change us. And Father, may we have humble hearts to hear and to work through and to wrestle with what your word might be saying to us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Paul was very concerned that Timothy didn't depart from the faith, bring dishonour on the gospel, to be a person who would, uh, if you like, not finish well. And he's concerned also, and God is concerned for all of us, that we finish our journey of faith uh, well. And what we're looking at this morning uh, will help us, I think, uh, to finish well, not only for us to finish well, but that we can be people who help others finish well. I know I had my own crisis of faith. Um, I was sitting, uh, I'd taken a group of people uh, to Mizoram and India and Bangladesh to see some projects where people uh, were in abject poverty and we were in Kolkata in a red light district where in one one square mile, 1,000 women are walking the streets Uh, plying their trade every night and there was a project that Baptist World Aid was funding at the time, I don't think they're still funding this project, where um, women were given an alternative trade, some had been second and third generation involved in uh, just making a living uh, by, uh, yeah, in in just selling themselves and uh, uh, just to feed their kids. And as I sat there, there was 150 people and we were being led in worship. I couldn't understand the language we were, we were, uh, that they were singing in and I couldn't, I picked up some of the tunes that were familiar. Someone who had uh, been helped and off the streets was leading the worship and the women there who had been helped were the ones who would uh, lead these times together. And as I sat there, knowing that some of them had been trafficked at 10, 12, 13 years of age, no idea how or where they uh, came from in terms of getting back many from Bangladesh. Um, And as I sat there and saw them worshipping God with hearts of praise, hearts of joy as they were together uh, in this, uh, just a really old two-storey building where they had this ministry where they uh, made T-shirts and bags and different things that they could sell to to be self-supporting as a community. I just had tears start to flow down my cheeks and I took out my little notebook and I might have shared this, some of you may have heard me touch on this before, I just wrote down a few things that made me wonder what's it all about, where is God, what is God doing, is this, have I just followed something that is, uh, uh, doesn't ring true in the, in the world and some of the things that I uh, jutted down was just the obvious, was these innocent children that had been uh, brought into this industry through no fault of their own. Where is God when that's happening? Or I thought about things at home where people preach a simplistic gospel or proclaim things that are not true to God's word to to make promises that God will do to certain things that God hasn't necessarily promised. They misuse God's word. And I'm thinking, well, where is God when when people are, um, as uh, the passage that Joel preached on talked about how people, preachers can take advantage of uh, insecure people who are drawn in by this false, false teaching. Just the general poverty I saw and, uh, and also just knowing close at hand how damaging it is what happens uh, when, uh, <clears throat> when abuse happens uh, in people's lives, innocent children Innocent adults, godly people suffer things and I've thought, where are you God, what are you doing? And I thought if I ever wrote a book, I would entitle it to the abyss of unbelief and back. If you like, I looked over the abyss, 
I looked over at what I tried to imagine and I've always had a Christian influence. I've grown up in a Christian home, came to faith at 11, baptised at 14, active in the youth group, um, been involved in uh, all sorts of jobs and rub shoulders with all sorts of people through my life. So I haven't been totally in a bubble. But I've, I've tried at times, as I've been a pastor for now 20 or 30 or 40 years, I've tried to imagine, to put myself in that place where faith is not part of my life, where I don't believe in a God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show and reveal himself. And I've tried to imagine what that would be like. One, it's very hard when you've been brought up in the Christian faith. And two, when you get a little glimpse, there's just emptiness and, if you like, the, the abyss uh, of despair if there wasn't some hope beyond not only what happens in this life where God doesn't change things, pray God that he will, but he doesn't always, and then not to have hope beyond this life, then there is, if you like, just an abyss. You're just living and dying and wondering what it's all about. And so Paul is saying that when we have those moments in our lives where we wonder what it's all about, where we wonder what our faith is about, why are we coming to church every Sunday? Why are we uh, seeking to live a godly life when evil men and women seem to prosper? Paul is saying the kind of things that will, if you like, put a fence at the top of the cliff to make sure Timothy doesn't walk away from his faith. Megan uh, Gablin, a, a writer in the Guardian newspaper, describes how her personal faith crisis grew and she's walked away from faith but it, it grew out of a feeling unsafe to express doubt within the community of uh, Christian students that she is a part of at the time because she couldn't wrestle with and be open about the questions and the doubts that came to her mind. They just bottled up with inside her until uh, she ended up walking away from the faith. People walk away for many reasons. Maybe something they've experienced in church which should never have happened Maybe a pastor's moral failure. Um, maybe, as I've alluded to with Megan Gablin, the questions are ignored. Or just life's busyness, the, the busyness of life, the responsibilities of life become overwhelming and slowly we just disconnect from God's people and then we can disconnect uh, from our faith. The cares of life can overtake us. <clears throat> or we're unable to reconcile a loving God with life's experiences. And I have no apology in raising these questions because we need to uh, wrestle with them, work through them, and our faith will be stronger as we work through these things. And so for a few minutes, and I'm conscious the children are in this morning and they're doing a wonderful job at the moment. I can't hear anything anywhere except a pencil going on the paper here. Um, and uh, that's they're just an amazing bunch of kids that we have here. But four things I want to say this morning that will help you finish well but also for you uh, to be someone who can help others finish well. <clears throat> and the first is, as Paul is saying about himself and for Timothy, is to be an example uh, to others. In verse 10 and 11 it says, and the Greek is uh, sude, which means Paul is saying to Timothy, unlike the, leader, the uh, false teachers and people who were living uh, loose lives, they thought freedom in the gospel meant you could do whatever you like, he says, however, but as for you, unlike those who are lovers of themselves 
and rebellious at any authority and who are false teachers, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings uh, that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord uh, rescued me. It might sound almost arrogant that, uh, that Paul is referring to all these wonderful things about his life and character, but he had just said that the example of uh, when uh, people's lives and the fruit of our lives is, is, a, is a big part of giving testimony to the truth of what uh, particularly preachers and teachers are saying and in all of us, our lives uh, uh, need to, uh, if you like, um, be consistent with what we preach and teach. And Paul says, uh, he says, uh, you've followed, speaking of Timothy, you're looking to me and you've seen my purpose in life, which was to proclaim the grace and love of God. You looked, you've seen his faith, seen his patience. The word uh, that's used there to describe patience, uh, macrothemia, is tolerance of long-suffering towards aggravating people. So we all need some of that in our, at different times in our jobs or in our families and never in churches, of course, and never in our family. But of course, we, uh, that sense of patience that comes as we know the strength and love of God in our lives. Paul's love of God and man... Um, his steadfastness, patience in trying circumstances. He hung in there when things were tough. And that was uh, something that Paul was able to say, you've seen these things in me, continue in them, you do the same things. And he's kept the faith in the face of persecution. And I'll be speaking a little more about that in a moment. Because Paul says, my persecutions and sufferings, he refers to, that happened in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. In Lystra, he was stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. And probably Timothy saw that happen. And he saw someone who this happened to, who didn't deny his Lord, who continued to walk in the faith, proclaim the faith and preach the gospel. He wasn't, uh, I'm sure he was challenged, but he didn't uh, buckle under even that kind of pressure. So first of all, if you want to uh, help others uh, not to walk away from the faith, be an example of what it means to know the love of God and to give that to others around you, to live out God's word, to let truth uh, and the character of God and the grace of God uh, shape your life and don't be ashamed of it. Secondly, Paul said to Timothy, warned him, and to be forewarned is to be forearmed. If you know something could happen, it helps you prepare for it. We can't always know the details of life, but Paul uh, made it very clear in verse 12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But not only did Paul say that we would suffer challenges and even persecutions in our lives, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first, in John 15, 18. And then uh, we've just read the verse in Timothy 3, where Paul warns Timothy that uh, if we live godly lives in Christ, there will be times we'll, have, we'll be challenged and a tough uh, uh, opposition will come our way. But then Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject um, your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness or justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the response to persecution, Jesus said uh, to, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Some pretty challenging words 
even in the context of where we've experienced, I'll call it opposition rather than persecution. People disagree with us. For 2,000 years, people have disagreed with the gospel, have challenged things that are good and right. It's not a new thing. In our liberal democracy here in Australia, people can share their ideas and you can share yours and people can say we're idiots or call us whatever they want to and challenge what uh, we believe. And that's part of life. But we are called uh, to pray for them and to bless those who might oppose us. And I guess one of the ways that challenges come Sometimes even can come Jesus, the persecution that he suffered was the religious leaders. If you're a radical follower of Jesus, and for example, you love gay people, or you love refugees, or you love uh, people who um, <clears throat> are on the outcasts of society, if you associate with these people, sometimes conservative, really conservative Christians who haven't got a sense of God's heart and God's grace can be the very ones who give you a hard time because you connect with these people who are often marginalised and vilified in different ways. But also, obviously, there's those who have no faith who can challenge our faith as well. And I guess on the whole issue of persecution, it's a very, uh, what shall I call it, a hot topic has been the last month or two uh, here in Australia. Um, I'm just going to say a couple of things that will help you to think about whether we are, how much we really think persecution is a part of Australian way of life. Tim Costello is quoted uh, in The Guardian um, in, in saying that Tim argues that while people of faith should have protection from discrimination as recommended by the Ruddock Review, there's no need for Christians to panic about persecution in Australia. I would say to Christians, if you want to see persecution, let me take you to places where there is persecution of Christians and other religious groups. Let me take you to Afghanistan, to Syria, to Pakistan, to, and I will show you what persecution is. And then he reminds us what I've just read to you this morning. If we, if we read our Bibles, Jesus said the world would hate us and misunderstand us uh, for, following, uh, for following Jesus. Um, but to go on following, loving and serving. Um, so Tim Costello says, so I would say just suck it up. So sometimes in terms of what happens, it's so minor here in Australia compared to the kind of things uh, that Jordan referred to when he shared uh, a moment ago. Um, we sure have opposition. Expect it. It's what would happen when you live a godly life and when you honour and seek to do what is just and right in the eyes of God. Robin Whitaker says, Let us be clear, Christians in Australia are not being persecuted. They have freedom to gather and worship freely, to meet in public places, to join the army, to teach, to vote, to be Prime Minister. Christians own and run vast institutions. They're still in the largest religious affiliation in the country, about 52% in the 2016 census. There are hardly the signs of a persecuted group. To claim persecution is not just historically incorrect, it's offensive. In fact, the last Australian election showed it's even advantageous for an Australian politician to claim to be Christian. Being Christian gets you votes and gets you elected even to the highest office in the land. Now, you might disagree with that statement, but I'm just trying to help keep it in perspective that in terms of uh, suffering for your faith in a, in a very real way, we are still uh, a free country. But godliness will arouse antagonism. 
whistleblowers who speak up about what's not right in an organisation, whether it be a church or a charity or a business, often a, a vilified, um, made to look really uh, as though they're the one that's got problems. People who speak up for what's true and right often will be the ones who uh, are, are vilified. But I want to say that persecution where we really do suffer is something uh, that we know others in other countries experience in extremes. There's a book that I ordered for this sermon which is going to arrive tomorrow at the uh, bookshop where I ordered it in Stirling. I thought it, they said they would have it during the week, but I'll pick it up tomorrow apparently. But it's called 21 Coptic Christians um, and uh, a journey into the land of the Coptic martyrs. I'm not going to, with the children here, go into the details of what that is about. But those 21 martyrs who lost their lives were simply living godly lives. They weren't even proselytising. And um, the ISIL and Daesh fighters in Egypt, an extreme minority group amongst Muslim people, took it upon themselves uh, to uh, take their lives in the most horrific of circumstances. They were poor migrants from Libya and, um, and 21 were from Libya and one of them <coughs> was from Ghana. And their last words were simply the word Jesus or Lord Jesus Christ. And they'd been dressed in orange jumpsuits. It was intended to recall the garb of the Muslim prisoners held by the US at Guantanamo Bay where they were treated unjustly and treated poorly and so there was a sense of retribution that was part of the actions that these evil people took and when they took their lives. But I want to play just for 30 seconds a short clip of how one of the wives of one of those 21 men, just a statement of how uh, she responded to this persecution. Just let's watch this for a moment. <laughs> احنا كنا لما نسمع لما نسمع عن الافلام بتاع الشو هذا الوقت احنا بقينا عايشين فيها وانا فخوره حاجه فخر وانا فخوره في كل شخص مسيحي من جوزي بس فخوره كل شخص مسيحي ما ينكرش دينه يعلن ايمانه اكيد طبعا يعني احنا ساعات ما سمعنا بتاع حادث در الانبا صميح كنت فخوره بيهم في اطفال شايفه مرجردس what an amazing statement, one of the 21 wives and children who were left after that one, one particular incident where serious persecution uh, was taking place. But I want to challenge us, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Sure, people will mock you or won't always agree with you. Often they will respect you. Our Prime Minister largely got elected because there's enough Christians around the world and around in Australia and people who probably didn't have faith who respected him for who he is. Even though a couple of days before the election he was filmed in worship, praising God uh, in his home church, um, unashamed of his faith and it probably helped him uh, uh, get elected. And so there are times you will be and... Uh, Often that's the case, you'll be respected because you're a person of integrity. People are looking for people of integrity in the workplace. And it's not always where you will be challenged. I think uh, Tim Costello or one of the um, people who we... But we've got to be careful that 
when we are so-called persecuted that it is because we are a Christian and not because we are a jerk. And sometimes we can do silly things and then think that, uh, wonder why we get given a hard time uh, in relation uh, to our faith. So, forewarned, forearmed, expect challenges, expect persecution. Thirdly, stay focused on God's grace in Christ. 2 Timothy 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, meaning the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Stay focused on the gospel as individuals, as a community, as a church community. We are called uh, to be an example to expect challenges and also to stay faithful to the gospel of grace. I find the story of, often called the story of the prodigal son, but I like the other title for that same story. It says, The Parable of the Waiting Father. And it's about God just longing and waiting uh, for his children to return to his family, to come under uh, his uh, lordship, to come into his family to enjoy the benefits of all the, uh, the kingdom values of being part of God's family. And so uh, as we stay focused on the gospel, as we keep the love of God strong in our minds, then uh, it'll be a lot harder to stray. How hard it is when you know you're loved to hurt that person. And if we really know we're loved by God, then we're less likely to walk away and dishonour him either by our behaviour or by our choices, or by totally walking away from faith altogether. Finally, trust, I've got here, trust the manual, or trust the scriptures. Trust the word that God has given us in writing. Trust the word that God has given us that points us to the living word, which is Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I learnt when I was flying that what the manual said, you need to make sure that you follow those directions. If you get into cloud and you have to fly on instruments, you keep the plane level, you keep the airspeed at the right speed, you keep the nose pointing in the right direction following what the compass says. When you're landing, there's procedures that if you don't follow, there will be a major catastrophe. You've got to trust what the manual says. If you're in cloud and you just fly by your instincts, you'll end up flying upside down. You'll start to feel like you should put the nose down or up or you turn around and you can just be totally disorientated. You've got to trust the manual, trust the instruments. And God has given his word to us to give clear direction. In the name of the spirit, so often people will go off at tangents because they divorce the spirit from the word. And the two go together powerfully that we will hear and know what God is saying and stay, uh, in <clears throat> stay focused and live a kind of life that will bring honour and praise uh, to God. One of the reasons, if we lose confidence in the manual, slowly we will lose our faith. I'm going to tell you why I got two years behind on my cholesterol tablets. One was I, I thought that I could fix this problem with uh, exercise and diet, which is important and it can contribute to it. I read articles that said, well, 
It's not necessarily something that you need to do because there's 10 other factors that affect your heart condition. And so for a season of life, I lost confidence in whether... Now, whether you think these things are necessary or not, that's your call and that's fine. But I lost the... I, I just, to illustrate the point, I lost confidence in the fact that they su supposedly do some good and help me, and therefore I just stopped uh, taking that little tablet every morning. I can stop reading God's Word if I lose confidence about what it is and who it is that's speaking. Very simply and clearly, as I draw to a close this morning, in that verse, all Scripture is breathed out and profitable for teaching and correction. Uh, Paul is making it very clear that... Uh, the scriptures are, give, are, are from God and not only are they from God but they are to be trusted and they, their purpose is to equip us. There's a clear purpose that the scriptures will, uh, as the Spirit of God brings them alive to us, will equip us for every good work that God has called us to. And sometimes, and I've been through this kind of crisis as well, things that I was absolutely convinced that the Bible said. I had a verse, I had other verses, and I thought they were the, exactly what God was saying. And then life's experience, what other people are saying, sometimes what other scriptures were saying, I began to think, well, this, this is contradicting either what other scriptures are saying or it's contradicting what, uh, uh, what life, or the realities of life are. And without losing confidence in what God's word says, there's times we have to be willing to say, well, not in the sense of questioning God himself, but in questioning your understanding. You say, well, have I understood what the Bible's saying correctly? Am I really, uh, have I really understood in the light of the context, the people it was written to, and uh, the, the message that was intended at the time it was written, have I understood it correctly? And so there's times where uh, we can um, be absolutely uh, convinced that something was what God was saying and some people walk away from faith because they suddenly have these crises where um, realities of life, other scriptures, whatever it is, causes them to question. I want to say it'll, you will be a stronger, more mature Christian if you're willing to face those questions. There's a person who at the age of six believed she wanted to be a pastor. She was a pastor until the age of 40. These hard questions came up as she prepared sermons and as she did things, she put them in the too hard basket. She never addressed them. The box got fuller and fuller and fuller and she's now an atheist because she wasn't willing to wrestle with the tough questions and challenges that, that came to what had been simplistic understandings of certain things. And so don't be afraid of the hard questions. Listen to what others are saying. Listen to trusted uh, people who know God's word and let God uh, uh, help you to see that um, God's word is something you can trust. Most of all, it's there to point us to the living word, which is the person of Jesus. We look for it and think it's, it's not a science textbook. It's not um, just a rule book. It's a pointing us to the living word, which is the person of Jesus. And yes, there are ways of living that are very clear that the scriptures make. But let's remember that the primary purpose is to make us wise to salvation through Jesus Christ. We're going to come to a time where we are reminded of the salvation that God has given us. We're reminded of the love of God. We're going to take communion in a moment. And as we uh, receive the bread and cup, 
We're going to listen to a song that talks about the power of your love. It's a song that, uh, um, yeah, it's been around a little while, but I've always found it a very powerful song. Just like the prodigal son came home when he remembered the love and 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 the joy of being in his father's mansion, if you like. So too, as we are reminded of the grace and love of God, it will hold us and keep us strong and focused in our faith. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll simply, uh, the, the song will be playing, the words will be on the screen. I just want us to quietly come and receive the bread and cup. Um, just ask if Joel and um, one of the, any of the other elders that are here can just stand near the table if anybody would like prayer. Uh, just quietly move over to, um, or even ask anybody you feel comfortable with to pray for you. Um, but let me pray and then we will just quietly receive the bread and cup together and then uh, Lauren will uh, lead us into our final worship. So let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who can be trusted. Thank you that you're a God who has shown your love in the person of Jesus. Thank you for your incredible grace. You're reaching out, coming alongside us in all our brokenness, in all our uh, dysfunction, and you bring us to a place of feeling love despite what life has done for us. And Lord, we just ask as we receive the bread, which reminds us of your broken body, how you came and suffered in the very lives that we live, and your and the cup that reminds us that you even went to the point of death in shedding your blood for the forgiveness of our sins we thank you father that we are loved and forgiven and that we're embraced by you and i pray that as we receive the cup uh, the bread and the cup this morning your spirit will minister afresh the incredible love that you have for us i pray in jesus precious name amen the word of the song that you will here playing as you move to the communion table. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I've found in you. Just come as you feel ready uh, to receive the bread and the cup. song goes on I'll give them a moment to says Lord I've come to you know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your love hold me close let your love surround me bring me near draw me to your side and as I wait I'll rise up like the eagle and I'll soar with you your spirit leads me on in the power of your love Lord unveil my eyes let me see you face to face the knowledge of your love as you live in me there's no more verses
You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.